morning again go ahead and turn or keep your Bibles I should say open to that Luke chapter 8 passage we are going to uh, kind of backtrack a little bit from last week uh, setting us up for the discussion this week uh, as we're in this series this this uh, asking the question of what, what are our faith foundations and so we've been walking through the gospel of Luke uh, for the better part of this year and so what, really what we're doing is we're trying to look at the foundational faith things. Like what are the, the ideas or the doctrinal or theological understandings that are foundational to our faith as Christians? And so we began that trek at the beginning part of this year in Luke chapter 8. And really there's kind of been series inside of other series inside of this gospel account uh, from Luke. And really to answer the question that we're going to get to today that I'll tell you in just a second, we have to answer the question of last week of how are people saved? How are people saved is really the question that we asked last week. See, Jesus walks into a crowd of people, and we talked about how there were significant um, differences among the people in this crowd. There were religious leaders and rulers called the Pharisees in this crowd who many showed up to kind of uh, naysay Jesus or maybe try to figure out an argument against what Jesus was teaching or preaching. There were others in the room who were his disciples that were committed followers of him. And then there were the, uh, the third group of people. There, there were these folks who were just kind of interested to see what Jesus had to say. And so what Jesus began to do is preach a message talking about four soils and a sower who throws seeds. And in this picture, what you see is a sower throwing seed really unpacked uh, what Christians are called to do with the gospel, meaning we are to go out and throw the seeds of the gospel. He, he said it in a different way of saying we are to proclaim the good news that the Messiah has come to give us life. And this was the seed, the gospel. How do we know Jesus? We know him through the gospel. This is who he is. It is the good news that he took people who were dead in their trespasses. We had no way to uh, a reunion, to a connection back with God the Father, but Jesus comes down as the Son, fully human, fully man, lives a perfect life, dies, and then resurrects from the dead. And then he says, anyone who believes in me, who trusts in me, who follows me, will have a resurrection life. You will be reunited with God the Father. And this is the gospel. So a sower goes out and th throws this seed, sows it, so to speak. And then he goes through the four types of soil. The first one that we saw was the people who are hard of heart. These were the folks that, uh, as the seed was thrown, maybe uh, the analogy that Jesus gave is that Satan comes along with, with birds, you know, so to speak, and pulls the seeds away. And so they never really had an opportunity to receive this gospel. The second one was those who maybe didn't have enough root. This is the second soil. These are folks that, uh, as the, the seed was thrown, it, it maybe it took a little bit, you know, kind of germinated just, just a hair. Uh, but as the difficulties of life came in, uh, they, it just didn't amount to anything. The third soil were those in the worldly wash. These are the, the seeds that were thrown out, but then as they germinated and grew, they also grew with other things in the world. And he, he kind of uses the picture of the weeds and, and thistles and all these other things. And so as they grew, they were choked out by the desires of this world. And then the fourth soil was the soil of the believer, the follower. And so to answer our question last week, what we said was people are saved through the reception of the proclamation of the gospel. And so when people are saved, it's because somebody proclaimed the gospel, and then they said, yes, I follow Jesus. And we made it a very specific point to say it wasn't that they said yes, and it stopped there, 
but what they follow. To follow someone doesn't necessarily have an, an ending point, does it? It means to continue to follow. And so we're, we're kind of going through that same place in Scripture, and we need to get to this, this you know, place today as we unpack his text and his sermon more to answer the question, well, how do I know if I am indeed one of those soils? Because if people are saved when the good news is shared and then they follow Jesus, how do I know that I'm following him? If you've been a a Jesus follower, a believer for any length of time, you have probably had a doubt at some point to say, am I actually following Jesus? Like, am I a believer? Or am I just kind of going through the motions so that I don't have to go to hell? I mean, you've probably asked yourself this. And let me tell you something. It's okay to ask that question. It's okay to go, where does my heart lie? But as Jesus is preaching this message, there's a tension that we didn't mention last week. There's a place where he preaches the message to the the droves of people, and then his disciples kind of pull him aside, and they go, tell us what you mean. And in this moment, Jesus says something that if you were reading it in your quiet time, you probably would stop and go, what is he saying? What, what does this mean? And it may even cause you to ask the question of how do I know if I am indeed saved? And so in order to answer the question of how do I know if I'm saved, I want to unpack this difficulty that Jesus kind of puts in front of us and in front of the disciples so that we can then get to the portion of text that we're directly handling this morning. So if you'll flip back just a little bit to verses 4 through 15 for me, We're, I'm not going to read them all, but I, I do think it's important that we unpack some of this going on. So I'm going to read the teaching of the parable and the last sentence, and then we'll hit the first part of this tension that Jesus is talking about. So it starts off like this in verse 4, and when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out. And this is the first sentence that you should kind of, your ears should perk up. You should go, what does he mean? He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Continue on. And when his disciples asked him, so they kind of pull him aside, right? This is no longer in front of the whole group. What this parable meant, he said, and this is, this is the tension, this is the moment. To you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, they are in parables. So that seeing, they may not see. And hearing, they may not understand. What is Jesus saying in this text? What exactly is he getting at when he looks at one group of people and says, hey, you get it because it's kind of been given to you, but there's another group of people that don't get it. In hearing, they may not understand, and seeing, they may not see. What exactly does Jesus mean? Well, to answer that question, I first want to reveal some words that Jesus said as recorded by Mark. So it's the same sermon, but Mark records a few more details that Luke doesn't. 
side note, you may be asking, why does Mark have words that Luke doesn't? Well, if you, if you can, you know, think about any writer that you know, they typically, and we, we said this last week, the, the, the group or agent that you are trying to deliver your message to will depend on the delivery of your message. It doesn't change the message itself, but the, the, the actions or the words or the methods of your delivery may change. Luke had a very specific people that he was writing to when he recorded this gospel narrative. Mark had a different set. So Mark will highlight things that maybe Luke didn't. And Matthew might highlight some things that maybe John doesn't. And that's why you have what would seem to someone on the outside maybe a disunity. But really what it is, is all four Gospels create this glorious picture of Jesus's life and his words. And so I want to highlight what Jesus says in this same sermon as recorded by Mark. Mark chapter 4, verse 26. And he said, this is Jesus, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day. Remember what this seed is. Remember the same picture, because this is the same sermon just recorded by Mark. And the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, that's the thing that kind of cuts the grain, or the, the ear, because the harvest has come. And so what we need to see is that as faithful followers of Jesus, we will live our lives hoping to lead people to love and invest, to, to know God deeply, but we will never, this side of heaven, truly know why some deny Christ and why others accept him. Now, some throughout history and throughout theology have tried to explain this through different language in Scripture. We, we, we focus on words like foreknowledge or predestination or election or phrases like salvation for all or when Jesus came, he came to save the world. And I believe it is important to wrestle with these types of passages in Scripture. Passages like Romans chapter 1. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for what? For salvation to everyone who believes, the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. You could easily plug in this same portion like John 3.16, for God saved, for God came to save the world through his son. Ephesians chapter 1, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with what? Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he what? He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Now listen, this is not going to be a sermon about the deep theological nature of what academic studies would call soteriology, of how someone is saved. I mentioned last week that, I mean, there are books upon books upon books 
discussing this. And so I'm not going to get into a discussion of election versus free will. Or in, in bigger terms, if you may know these, Calvinism versus Arminianism. But here's what I do believe, that as followers of Jesus, we need to be able to have intellectual conversations about what the Bible says. But that doesn't mean that we have to know every answer to every question. Like, I need you to hear that as you unpack and form a theology, an understanding of who God is and how He works through His Word with His people, with those who maybe aren't His people, it is important that you, as a believer, can wrestle with deep theological things. I don't know if you know what election is, but that's a deep theological thing. Free will is a deep theological understanding, and those two things will shape how you view Scripture. I don't have enough time this morning to really unpack that. And I don't know that this is necessarily the proper context to do it either, but what I do believe is important for you is to dive in to an understanding of what these things are. And when you're having a conversation with someone at a future date, you don't need to know the answer to every question. Matter of fact, you won't. There's been multiple times people have asked me questions and I've gone, yeah, I don't know. Can I get back to you? Somebody will shoot me a text and they'll, 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 it'll be random something from their quiet time or whatever. And they might think that I knew the answer right then. But I got a whole stack of books in my office that as soon as I got that text, I go, okay, okay, hold on, fresh her up, right? And then I gave them kind of an answer or a website that I thought was really helpful. You don't need to know everything. But what you do need to do is be able to be like a Berean is what Scripture says and kind of have an argument to defend your understanding of who Jesus is. Because it's important for us to understand these types of things as Jesus makes difficult statements like, hey, you will understand because it is a gift to you, but they will not understand. They'll see it, but they won't see it. They'll hear it, but they won't understand. And so the first thing that we need to know is that we need to be able to wrestle with things like that. The second is that Scripture makes it clear that some will clearly perceive and understand the gospel while others will not. So in order to, for us to answer the question of, like, how do I know if I'm saved? We, we need to have an understanding of what salvation is. We talked about that in part one last week. And then this week we're kind of leading to this place. So in Romans chapter 1, a text that would kind of prove my point right there. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their, what? Their unrighteousness, what did they do? They suppressed the truth, meaning they were aware of something, but they suppressed it. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. His invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. You could go to another passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I skipped ahead, my bad. <laughs> you got it, go ahead. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to do what? To preach the gospel, to sow seeds. 
and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Listen, there, there are multiple places throughout Scripture that will say that like, there's going to be some people who get it, some people who don't. And unfortunately, we, we just have to understand that and be okay with it. Not okay with just sitting you know, on the sideline and not getting in the game. But we have to be okay with we don't understand the full picture. His ways are higher than ours. And the moment that you think you understand humans and this world better than the Lord is the moment that maybe you've lost sight of who the Lord is. Because you didn't create anything from nothing. He created everything from nothing. So anything that you've ever created or you've seen anybody else create or these magical things in our world that humans have done, it came from the Lord. And so the beauty of who he is in some ways is that this side of heaven, you're not going to understand him fully or how he works. It is not our responsibility to provide results to the Lord. It is our responsibility to be faithful to the task of throwing seeds. So as we discuss how people are saved and if we're saved, we should feel a burden that it's our job to throw seeds and pour water. And let's just keep going. So all of this kind of understand, understanding leads us to be able to answer this question today of how do I know if I'm saved. So right after Jesus preaches this message and the disciples come up to him and ask for clarification, he kind of continues in a discussion with the disciples to help them understand. And that's where we pick up in our text today in verse 15. It says, as for that in the good soil, they are those who hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. We, we added that this week, so make sure we understand the, the jump that he's going to make here in verse 16. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and came to light. Come to light, excuse me. Take care, then, how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given, and for the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. So right here, what Jesus is going to do is he's connecting this idea of hearing the word with doing the word. So it's not just something that you heard one time. It's something that you heard and then moved you into action. And the way he talks about this is he says, if you have received the light, then it will not be hidden. Do me a favor. Everybody take out your cell phone. Take out your cell phone and go ahead and turn your flashlight on for me. Go ahead and turn your flashlight on. So here is what the Lord is calling for us to be as the church. If you have your phones, everybody point them that direction. Yeah, everybody point them that direction. Look how bright that, that wall is, right? It, it's beautifully 
lit up. Now, don't move your phone, but look over to this corner. Now, you can see individual lights as you're looking, but how dark is that area over there? It's pretty dark. It's, it's dimly lit. There, there are things in that we cannot see. You, you can turn your phones off. That was fun. What Jesus is bringing out here, what he's pointing us to, oh, my bad, is that as Christ followers, you were not called to just kind of get in these huddles and point in one direction. Because what happens if you point in only one direction? There's a dark area over there. So what we are called to do as Christians is to be the light that Jesus has called us to be. And in gatherings, we come together and our lights make this beautiful little Taylor Swift concert picture, right? But then what's going to happen, if you could imagine that that light wasn't just a physical thing, but it was a spiritual thing. When we leave the walls of this building, when we leave this gathering, what our lights should do, they should go into all the places of darkness into the world. But what we are tempted to do is we really, we're, we're like bugs drawn to the other lights. We really like to come back to each other. But as we come back to each other more and more frequently, you know what I'm saying, not, not just the church gathering, but where all of the people in our life are lights because of Christ in them. We, we, we meet with them on Mondays and we meet with them on Thursdays and our family members are this and our friends are this. And soon, everybody we really know that we've led into our lives, that we have relationships with, I mean, they, they carry the light of Jesus. But what about the people who don't? As we huddle together and we point our lights in one direction, what is happening in the opposite direction? What's happening in the aisles of our life, the, the streets of our life where we've huddled left and right, but that middle path is in still complete and total spiritual darkness? Jesus isn't calling you to just be a light with other lights in the corner. He's called you and he's empowered you and he's gifted you as a follower of Jesus to gather, to then scatter with your light. Another way he says it is in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. He says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. But what do they do? They put it on a stand, similar passage. And he gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So what Jesus is trying to get the disciples to see, when he's trying to get them to un unpack, how do I know that I'm soil number four? The first thing he points them to is you're a light. So it should be shining. It should be shown. Not necessarily a physical light, but a spiritual light. So the way that you interact and have a relationship, not a religion, with Jesus, your light should be seen by others. Not just seen by other lights, but by seen by people who are in darkness who need light. This is the first place where Jesus is kind of unpacking this passage to the disciples. The second place, if you continue with me in verse 19. Luke chapter 8, verse 19. It says, Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, hey, your, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. These are fleshly mother, brother. I mean, this is deep family connection. 
And he looks back at these disciples, these committed followers, and he answers them. My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and they do it. They are not necessarily, these are my words, they are not those who are calling for my attention. They are those who have heard the word of God and they do it. In other, way, in other words, the family of God are, are those who have received the gospel and then they've lived lives in, responses, in response to it. Throughout Scripture, Jesus calls us to abandon this understanding of this world and we, we are to cling to Him. So when we say that you've been brought into the family of God and that is your identity, Jesus actually means that. He means business. This isn't your church family, if you have a seat at the table here. Your MC isn't your church family. Jesus would say, it is your family. And that's a hard thing for us to maybe get to. Because we've been raised with and around people in our lives that might not be our family. I think about my children. I pray for my, my, my daughter's salvation every day. My, my, my son's already given his life to Jesus, and Lord willing, he's soil number four, right? But I, I pray for their salvation because what I don't want to see happen is this soul that I was entrusted, and I wasn't just entrusted their soul for education and for sports and teaching them how to be a man or a woman. What was I entrusted their soul for as their parent? to point them back to the ultimate soul keeper, Jesus. Like, who cares how good at sports he is if he goes to hell? I don't care how intelligent she is if she never gives her life to Jesus. Do I want my daughter to be intelligent? Yes. Do I want my son to be good at something he's passionate about? Absolutely. I more so care that they run after Jesus with everything they have. Because I don't just want them to be my family here. I want them to be my family forever. Like, it breaks my heart to think about people in my actual family that I know right now, if I looked, hey, do you follow Jesus? No. That hurts. But you know what? We can't bend our theology. Oh, we'll see him one day. Because it hurts. Jesus makes it really clear. There are some who will get it. One soil. And there's three soils who will not. If you ever ask yourself, man, why does that church preach about being missionaries and sharing the gospel and like making disciples and going and doing? Why are we shifting models of groups to go to mission communities and all these things? That's why. Because there's a bunch of people who don't know Jesus. I mean, there's a bunch of people in our little Jesus society here in the southeast of America who think they're soil number four, but they're really soil number two or three. They're just in this Bible belt thing, and so as long as they don't spit and cuss and chew and run with those that do, they're fine. You can, anyway. <laughs> We're not going to talk about that. But you get what I'm saying. It, it is important for us to feel a burden 
Jesus says this in a different way to, to, to really cement this idea of family. Matthew chapter 10, verse 34. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. Let that sink in. This ain't a Christmas Eve message, right? Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. That's what we want to hear on Christmas Eve, isn't it? What does he come? I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Do you think that Jesus means business about the salvation thing? He does. It's a serious note. This isn't one of those like really super fun sermons you're walking away on a, right? Like he means it. And we need to hear the truth in our life because the truth matters. Fluff doesn't matter. Fluff leads people straight to the, the road paved in hell that's got flowers and everything, right? I want to lead you to Jesus. And listen, to follow Jesus means to abandon everything. So if you're asking the question, how, how do I know if I'm in Christ? How do I know if I'm saved? How do I know if I'm soil number four? Answer the question in your heart and ask this. What else comes before him? Now, I'm not talking about your actions and the things that we mess up. No, nowhere in Scripture does Jesus say, you must live perfectly. This is the beauty of Jesus. He knows that you're not. So this isn't a message when you ask the question of how do you know if you're saved, this isn't saying, well, I've done most things right. That's not a complete understanding and a picture of the gospel. Because I haven't done most things right. I haven't. I continually fail. But Jesus, through his perfection and his love and his grace and his mercy, and ultimately through the blood that he sacrificed for me, has said, you are my son. You are family. And so now as family, walk in life with me. And that's why we have those core values we talk about. Because you see them over and over again throughout Scripture. Being present in families' lives. Serving others as Christ served. Connecting with people. Giving of ourselves and of our resources. Striving for excellence. These are things that are constantly thrown at us through the body and the work of Jesus and his disciples. And we don't just do those things marking off a list. We're, we're doing them because we've been made into new creations who follow after him. And so we don't have to, we get to. We desire to be like him. He's made us new in his image through his sacrifice, not of your own works, but of his alone. 
And so we do these things hoping to lead people to an understanding to love God and love people and invest in his kingdom. And that is what it means to live as a family of servant missionaries. This is what it means to be a Christ follower. It isn't a one-time reception. It is a lifetime of following. So how do you know if you're saved? You pull out the light inside that isn't from you. It's from Christ. He says you should live as the light that you are in Christ. Notice, in Christ. You are not a light on your own. You are dead and in darkness. But Jesus has come to give you life and to make you light through him. In 1 John chapter 1, he says this. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you. That God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But what? But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, I, I need pause. That is not like do everything so you can become the light. You are not the light. Who is? Y'all say it on three. One, two, three. Jesus. It ain't about your works. You can't be good enough. I need, do not leave here thinking, man, I'm going to work really hard, do my devotionals, and I'm going to get it. No, Jesus is it. That's the picture. It's not about how great you are, because you're not. Unfortunately, I'm sorry. I'm not great either, but he is. He is everything we ever want and desire to need right there in him. So let him shine through. You become less, and let him become more. It's not about how hard you work to get in this text and how much you raise your hands and how much you give and how much you serve. All the things that you do, those happen because you are the light. Churches say all the time, we don't want your money unless it's joyful giving, and we mean it. Like, don't give because you feel like you have to. Give because you get to. Serve because he's called you to and you want to, and you want to see people know him like you know him. Like love people because you love God. We walk in the light as he is in the light. We have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Maybe that's not the message you're used to hearing at a church you go to or a place you've been to. But that's the message of the gospel. It ain't about your works. It isn't about how hard you work to walk. Is following Jesus easy? No. Does it require work? Yes. It requires disciplines. Spiritual disciplines is what we call them. But those things that you're doing are not earning you at the seat of the table in heaven. They are an outpouring of the love that you've received and the understanding that you now have that Jesus has paid it all.
He is your hope. He is everything to you. Maybe you've never heard that before. And today you want to receive that light. You want to be a person who walks in the newness of Jesus. Man, come find me during the song or after the service. I'd love to talk with you about what it means to follow Jesus, follow him in baptism. There's a card on your seat. If you're in Christ this morning, your soul number four, you know that you have a assurance of your salvation because you're letting the light shine through you. I want to give you a tool this week. I'm going to give you a challenge this week. Give that card to somebody who doesn't know Jesus, who isn't in church. Maybe you're going to a restaurant, tip big, drop the card. Maybe there's somebody at your, your workplace you've been praying for. Invite them to church. Invite them to your MC. That would probably be easier. Let's start living as the light who wants to scatter rather than just living as a light who points it at a wall. Let's be a people who are careful and caring about the darkness around us. And let's carry the light of Jesus with us. Are you in? Are you in? Hold on now. Are you in? Come on, church. Are you in? Let's go. Come on. Ben, come on up. God, I just pray that it won't be a bunch of words that we say. It won't just be some motions that we go through. That we'll be a church, that we'll be a people who carry the light. Lord, I, I, I earnestly pray that if there's anybody in earshot of this message, that they'll hear the good news. That you have come to give them life tomorrow and today. You've come to give them abundant life. And that all you require is to turn from your former self, to turn from your sin, to repent, and to believe and trust and follow after Jesus, your son, sacrificial lamb. God, help us to do it. Help us to run this race. Help us to take these cards and see them as an opportunity for another fish that you want to catch. Lord, we, don't, we can't fathom why some say yes and some say no. But what we can fathom is that you've called us to at least present the question of, do you want to follow Jesus? Help us do that. Give us assurance of our salvation, not by our works, but by your works on the cross. It's in your son's name I pray. And God's people said, Amen. come on, let's stand up, sing to our living hope. Let's go.